Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Company's podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each episode showcases one of Davy's certified arborists sharing advice with everyone about caring for your trees and landscapes. We'll talk about everything from introduced pests, seasonal tree care, deer damage, how to make your trees thrive, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. This week, it's part two of our arborist's favorite trees. Last week, we looked to the West, and now we're headed to Tennessee to talk with Nick St. Sever, District Manager for the Davy Tree Expert Company in Knoxville. And Nick and I talked before earlier in the season, but today it's favorite trees. But I've already talked to somebody from out West, Nick, and I'm not going to tell you what he said his favorite trees are. So I know that you you can't just say plant this tree. You You have to know sun, shade, big or small, but in general, in species or certain things that maybe you just know are going to, are going to do well. Let's start talking about some of your favorites. Yeah. Yeah. So you're spot on with, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with site um, conditions when it comes to determining trees. But, um, you know, I, I personally um, like a lot of your unique trees that you don't see a whole lot. Um, and a lot of people are just either aren't aware of, or I've just never seen, um, I've, I've done a lot of tree planting at the house, um, especially this past year. Um, and one of my favorite trees that I've only recently discovered, um, is something called a Katsura tree. Um, it's actually a non-native, um, and actually native to, uh, parts of Asia, but it's really interesting. And, in that it um, has just absolutely gorgeous fall color. Um, and that's typically what I'm planting for, especially here in Knoxville, um, where we don't necessarily have as um, prominent fall colors like what you would up in uh, parts of New England and whatnot. So it's I'm always looking for those trees that will provide that really nice fall color. Um, but another unique thing about the Katsura tree uh, is that it actually the leaves when they drop them smell like brown sugar wow so it's yeah so they're really interesting they've got that gorgeous pink and yellow fall color um but they they smell like brown sugar and there's in my opinion nothing nothing more you would want how big does it get and and what where does it like to grow uh so it is uh it's a full sun tree uh fibrous root system so you're definitely going to want to make sure it's mulched um fairly well um especially when you're trying to establish it but once it does mature um it should be pretty drought tolerant um size wise um if you go online i mean you're you're looking at sizes anywhere from 20 to 30 feet um is typically what they say but um if you look at the um what michael durr says which is like the godfather for um arboriculture and trees you know, there, there's specimens that get up to 60, 70, 80 feet tall that he's seen. So it can be a fairly large tree um, long term, but short term. And what most people grow them for is like that 30 foot, like a medium sized tree range. How did you discover it? I've actually got a client that has one um, and we, we were walk, walking around uh, just doing a property assessment one day. And she's like, do you have any idea what kind of tree this is? I'm like, I've, I've never seen that before in my life because it kind of looks like a red bud. The, uh, the leaves on it, they're kind of heart shaped. Um, and I got with 
um, some of my buddies over at the UT Extension Agency um, and uh, did a little research and and that's what we found it to be. So I uh, picked one up myself. (laughs) (laughs) What else were you thinking about talking about? Uh, I I mean, some other trees that I I really like if you're into natives and I'm not necessarily a, a native purist, but um, probably my favorite native tree, um, is the sourwood, um, which a lot of people aren't that familiar with, um, but it has a lot of environmental benefits, um, in regards to, uh, especially like bee populations. Um, it's one of the few trees that actually blooms later in the season. Um, most trees bloom spring and summer. This one actually blooms late summer, early fall. Um, a lot of people are familiar with like sourwood honey. Um, and that's, that's the tree that it comes from, but again, just gorgeous fall color, uh, very unique blooms, um, full sun, uh, partial shade, um, just really nice bark, especially as they mature, um, and not a whole lot of maintenance, um, but they are a little more susceptible to drought than most trees. So you do want to make sure it's mulched well, um, and you are providing supplemental irrigation in, in periods of drought. You know, I have a friend up here that works uh, for Davey, and he he comes on my radio show, mm-hmm. and I know that he has a sourwood, and anytime he can he can get it in there, he wants to tell us about yeah. that sourwood. Yes. Explain explain to people what those blo- blossoms look like because they are so cool. Yeah, so they're they're pendulous racemes is the the technical um uh, uh the technical name for them, but. They kind of hang down and kind of at the very bottom where they hang down, they kind of scoot back up um, and they look like a bunch of little little bells um, hanging off this probably six to eight inch long uh, uh, receive. So they're, they're just absolutely gorgeous. Um, and then especially that when they when they start turning for the fall, you, you have the blooms plus the gorgeous red fall color. I mean, there's just nothing like it. You know, can we talk a little bit about natives in general? Uh, because I'm like you, I'm not a native purist, but I keep hearing more and more about about the positives of natives. How do we balance that? How do you balance it? I mean, here, here you're talking about sourwood and katsuras. I'm doing the same thing. You know, I, I have a sourwood as a, as a native, but I'm not, uh, I, I'm certainly going to grow something that might have been, you know, originated in Asia just because I love the way it looks, but I know there's positives to, to growing natives. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, there, there are definitely, you've got to strike a balance between your natives and your non-natives. Um, you know, as long, my, my biggest thing is as long as you're not play, planting anything that's invasive, that's going to take over your yard, your neighbor's yards and the entire city. Um, generally I'm, I'm okay with somebody wanting to plant that and the Ketsura tree definitely falls into that category. Um, but, uh, in regards to most natives and and the reason why you want to steer towards them, um, is just the ecological benefits that they provide for our native species, um, butterflies, bees, um, and, and all the, uh, animals and wildlife that you have, um, you know, in your, wherever you're at. All right. What's next on your list? Uh, another another tree I really like um, is, and a lot of people know this or the Asian variety of it, but the American smoke tree. Um, and that's scientific name is Cottonus abovatus. 
um, not the uh, Cotinus cogregrii. Um, and they are very unique, especially midsummer, um, in that when they're in full bloom, they just look like a puff of smoke. Um, and they're really, really good for sites that have poor, um, especially alkaline soil where you really can't get anything else to grow. You're not getting any water there. Um, just kind of plant it and forget it. Worst case scenario. They're, they're great for that. And they do really well in those conditions. So, um, got, have amazing fall color. I mean, they're considered to be one of the most outstanding fall color trees that, that we've got. And like I said, it's native and just beautiful blooms. Well, you said something really interesting there, and it's about looking at the site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked about a lot of favorite trees over, you know, from the West and the East, but the right tree for the right place, you know, if you put your favorite in the wrong place, it's not going to be your favorite for long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, everybody does that with dogwoods, and it's so frustrating. And I understand. Dogwoods are beautiful trees. They provide four season interest, but everybody wants to plant them out in the middle of their front yard and they don't, they do not belong in the middle of their front, in your front yard. They're an understory tree. So if you've got larger oaks um, or just larger trees in general, come in and plant some dogwoods, but don't plant it out in the middle of your front yard because it's going to struggle. It's going to be stressed. Maintenance wise, it's going to be through the roof and it's just not going to be worth it. It's, it's going to be a ugly tree long-term because it's just not gonna be able to support itself. It's so funny that you say that because in my 30 years of writing about gardening and talking about gardening, I've had to give that speech. Yeah. <laughs> not as many times, years. not as many times as you have, but I've had to yeah. give that speech. I just sent an email to somebody the other day who wanted to do that. And I said, yes, you, you can, you can, you can make it survive but it would thrive as an understory plant and be so much happier there because that's its nature. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many other species that you can plant in lieu of dogwood that would do fine in full sun. Um, you know, a couple, couple examples are like your red buds. Um, your, uh, most of your cherry, like your ornamental cherries would do fine crab apples, hawthorn, service berries, like all of these, we've got all these excellent varieties. Smoke tree would be another one um, that would do good in those conditions. And we just, for some reason, all want to plant dogwoods everywhere. So is there, are there some other trees we want to talk about? Again, another native one that I really like um, that's really underplanted. And I, and I kind of understand this too, because they're hard to get from a nursery. Um, and when you do get them from a nursery, they don't transplant very well. So you have to start with a seedling or something really small. Um, and that's your black tupelo. Um, a lot of people call them black gums. Um, they're not, uh, I try to say black tupelo as much as I can, because anytime you mention a gum tree, they think of the sweet gums with the little spiky seed pods, um, which nobody likes. Let me stop you there so that we do make that clear. Okay. So a sweet gum has these, well, how, what, how do you explain what they are? Because they're, they they make a mess. They're they're an amazing tree, but but you don't want them in your driveway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like I said, it's like a gumdrop filled with needles or something. I mean, it's just maybe the best way I can explain it. But they're pretty awful to step on or 
Yeah, it's a mess. But, you know, believe it or not, I know people that love that tree, but they're growing it somewhere where they don't have to sweep or rake those things off. But I've talked to lots of people over the years that love that black tupelo, and that's what they always call it so that it's not confused. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And your black tupelo, they're actually, um, and part of the reason why they are my favorite, one of my favorite trees is um, they're actually our longest lived native tree here on the East coast so that they're able to live for, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, several hundred years compared to like white Oak, which is, you know, two, 300 years. Um, you could almost get twice, almost three times that much with a black tupelo, but again, gorgeous fall color. That's really reliable. Um, you know, they, they have little berries on them, so they're good for wildlife. Um, have a really interesting bark, um, that almost looks like alligator hide. They do pretty good. Um, but of course, cultural controls, um, like mulching and, and that sort of thing is going to help any tree out. So, and my understanding is that tree is just, like you said, renowned for its spectacular fall yeah. color. That's what people just love. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's reliable too. It's more, it's fall color is more reliable than, um, sugar maples, especially here in East Tennessee. Um, so I mean, it's, it's definitely a go-to. There are different cultivars of it as well that um, are less susceptible to, there's a leaf spot that does sometimes get on them, um, especially if you have a really wet uh, late summer, early fall. Um, but if you could find one, um, I think it's called Green Gables Black Tupelo, is resistant to that leaf spot. Um, so you, you can enjoy the fall color longer. Um, and not have all those black spots up there. When you guys get them for planting, do you get them as like big bald and burlap trees? I mean, because you have the sources or, or how would, how would we find them? What usually? Yeah. Excellent question, actually. Um, so we, we don't, anytime I'm talking to a client about planting trees, I always recommend starting smaller, the smaller, the better. Um, and the reason why, I recommend that is because every for every inch in caliber um, that your tree is that you're planting. So let's say you're you're planting a two inch caliber tree. Um, it takes that many years for it to overcome transplant shock as a general rule of thumb. So if you've got a two inch caliber tree, you're looking at two years of it just kind of sitting there before it does anything. So if you start with a smaller tree, plant it next to a bigger tree, um, five years down the road, you probably won't even be able to tell the difference. Um, but your smaller tree that, or the tree that was planted while it was smaller is long-term going to be a lot better, um, healthier and much more well adapted to that site. Um, so, uh, I, I personally, to to get back to your question, I personally like to go with, um, a lot of, uh, like local, um, local nurseries. Um, there's, there's a great one that specializes in, in native trees and plants um uh, not too far from us that we we get a lot from um but there's there's some larger um larger nurseries that provide a lot of our plants as well so um, you just kind of have to shop around look around and see who has what because not every nursery is going to have everything you want And, and people should remember that many good nurseries can bring in something like that you know in our situation here in pittsburgh they're all the, the nurseries are up along Lake Erie. That's a great climate for them. And that's where our nurseries, our local nurseries get their stock from. 
And many times you can just say, hey, I, I want to try this black Tupelo. They'll, they'll get you one. But Nick, I want to say that uh, that is a great lesson that you taught me. And that's a very important lesson that people should know about planting trees is to start small. Uh, I never knew yeah. that. And I love it because, first off, I'm really cheap. So I can buy a smaller tree <laughs> for less and then we'll be good to go. And plus, it's going to be a healthier and better tree. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, and you know, if you start with a smaller tree too, you can make sure it's planted, right? Um, it's, it's pretty difficult to take a huge tree and make sure it's planted at grade and it's less time in the nursery and less time that is dealing with poor cultural practices that a lot of nurseries tend to, tend to do. So, <laughs> well, Nick, as always, uh, thanks for schooling us. Thanks for giving us, uh, some cool trees. And you said the magic word though. You said sugar maple. So you did cross over with the West by by mentioning a sugar maple. <laughs> I didn't recommend it, though. <laughs> All right, Nick. Thanks again. Good to talk to you, Doug. Next week, we've got a very special show detailing saluting branches, volunteer tree work at veteran cemeteries. I think you'll find this to be a moving episode. And as always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer. 